Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Paul Etterling. I am the lead pastor of the Westerville Free Will Baptist Church. We would appreciate it if you would like, share, comment, and rate this podcast. You can also subscribe to our podcast from the platform you use to listen to podcast. This will help our podcast become more discoverable in the podcast universe. If you would like to know more about our church, we invite you to visit us on the web at westervillechurch.org. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Now let's join today's sermon. Recently, I, if I can just be open and trans- transparent for a moment, recently I began a health journey. In my 48 years of living, I can honestly say to you that in the past year or two, maybe three years, I have been the most unhealthiest I have ever been in my life. And as I began this health journey, one of the things that was said to me was, you need to take your weight, divide it in half, and drink that much water a day in ounces. Now, I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh or how much water I have to drink. I will tell you this. These two water bottles sitting here today remind me of just how difficult of a journey this is. Um... But they also remind me that as hard as it is to get the amount of water down every day that I'm supposed to get down, that's actually the easy part of the journey. Because all of us know that if we're going to live healthy lives, there are two components. One is the nutrition aspect and how we eat and what we take into our bodies and how we consume food, but the other is to be truly healthy, there has to be some exercise. And so I'm going to tell you this morning that these two bottles actually represent the easiest part of this journey, because when it comes to exercise, I'm not there yet. It is difficult to think about even taking a simple walk every day. Finding the motivation for that. Finding the reason to do that. It's very difficult. But as I think about how hard it is to eat the right stuff and to exercise in the right way to try to live a healthier life, there is another type of exercise that I'm reminded is just as difficult. We call them the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are those exercises that we engage in as Christians to help us 
in our spiritual lives. To help keep us spiritually healthy. And just as physically we need the proper nutrition and the proper exercise, spiritually we need the proper nutrition and the proper exercise. You say, why is this so important? Well, can I remind you that Paul, we're going to be in the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy this morning, but in his first letter to Timothy, he wrote these words, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. That word train there that Paul uses in 1 Timothy 4 is actually the word exercise. Exercise yourself for godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is simply to say that we understand who God is, what He's revealed to us about Himself, and how we are to line our lives up with who He is. And we're to live in a righteous, just, gracious, merciful, loving way in the same way that God does. And since God is spirit, it's hard for us to relate to Him because we have nothing physical to relate with, to Him with because we are very physical beings. And so in His grace toward us, He sent us Jesus Christ. And so in place of this word godliness, you could also put the word Christ-likeness. We look at how Christ related to others. We look at how Christ taught others. We look at how Christ ministered to others. We look at how Christ loved others. And when you think about how Christ gives us a picture of how to live life well, I think that's what Paul is pointing Timothy to in this verse, is that we are to exercise ourselves for godliness. Train yourself. For godliness. And lest we think that that's just a soapbox that Paul might have got on, let me remind you that the writer of Hebrews said this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now think about this. You and I are in our sinful nature when we're born into this world. There is absolutely everything unholy about us. And yet the scripture is telling us that without holiness you cannot see the Lord. And Paul is instructing Timothy, you need to exercise yourself for godliness. The word holiness is another word we could put in place of godliness. You could use godliness, holiness, Christ-likeness. Now make no mistake about it, we do not believe that our works save us. And so this morning I'm not speaking primarily to those who don't know Christ, I'm speaking to those of us who do know Christ. Knowing that Christ's holiness has already been placed in our lives because of His work on the cross and His resurrection from the grave knowing that we possess His holiness in our lives and that Christ, that God now sees us through Christ, 
question I want us to ask ourselves today is how well are we doing in training ourselves, exercising ourselves for godliness? And this morning, I want us to begin with the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Try that again. Can you hit the button? There we go. In these words that Paul writes to Timothy, this is his second letter to Timothy. And remember that Timothy was a young man that Paul had placed in Ephesus. He was to set things order in, in order in Ephesus. If you know anything about Ephesus, you know that it was a very ungodly, unspiritual place. Yet there were some believers there. And Paul put Timothy there to set some things in order so that the church could flourish in Ephesus. And so 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are what we know as pastoral gospel or pastoral letters or epistles. Paul is instructing Timothy on how to set things in order, how to be the example for the church. And in this second letter, we come to chapter 3, and he directs some words directly to Timothy. And to set the context here, if you read the paragraph before our paragraph we're going to read, and then if you read afterwards, what we find is that Paul is preparing Timothy for the last days when godlessness would take place. Now, I don't know about you. As much as I try to understand prophecy and as much as I try to understand the end times, I don't necessarily understand how it's all going to play out. But I think if Paul thought that the end times were coming, then we ought to be living as if the end times are coming. And we should understand the same truth that Paul gives in the first part of chapter 3 to Timothy, and that is as the end times approach, as the last days approach, godlessness will become more and more increasing, increasing to the point that we look around and we think, what has happened? So I think these words to Timothy are very important, not only for him in Ephesus, but for us today. Let's begin in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed all, now watch this, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned, 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I want us this morning to understand that while Paul was pointing Timothy to his own example, because Paul had been Timothy's teacher, Paul had been Timothy's mentor, while he's pointing him to himself and saying, look, you've learned these things not only from your childhood, but you've seen them in me. Now you need to live this way. You need to do these things. And while he's pointing Timothy to himself, he ultimately comes down in verses 16 and 17 to this one truth. All Scripture is breathed out. And it's not just any Scripture. And it wasn't just breathed out in any old-fashioned. This is the Scripture that God Himself, the Creator of the universe, the the One who sustains the universe, the One who is the most high and holy and majestic being in all of the universe, it is that God who is the God of Israel, and it's that God who is the God that brought into existence His own Son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh so that we could have the Gospel given to us. It's that God that Paul points Timothy to and says he's breathed this out. The God who had every right to do away with us. The God who had every right because the human race committed high treason against him to sentence us to eternal hell. That same God loved us enough, was gracious enough, was merciful enough, righteous and just enough to give us His Word. To breathe out through the prophets His Word. And so He ultimately points Timothy in verses 16 and 17 to the Scriptures. Now keep in mind, Timothy at this point did not have the full and complete revelation of God like we do today. The Scriptures here for Timothy primarily were the Old Testament Scriptures because the New Testament was still being written at this point. And so he points him to the Scriptures and he says it's breathed out by God and profitable. Now here's what I want you to do. In these two verses, everything that has the word for in front of it, take it out for just a moment. Because anything that has the word for in front of it is a modifier. And if you want to get to the heart of what Paul is saying to Timothy, here's what you should hear. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable that the man of God may be complete, equipped, For every 
good work. All those words in the middle that begin with the word for, that just tells us how the Scriptures will do this. But if you want the bottom line of what the purpose of the Scriptures are, it is that the man of God may be complete. Not perfect, but complete. You won't have all the answers in this life, but you'll be complete. You have everything that you need to live this life for the glory of God. And notice Paul says to Timothy that in being complete, you are equipped for every good work. Every person sitting here this morning who has been born again by the Holy Spirit of God as you responded to the gospel in repentance and faith, you have been saved for good works. Not by your works. And so notice what Paul says here. Let's go back to all the four statements. Because these four statements, I think, give us insight into answering the question, why should we take the Bible in regularly? Number one, I want you to see that in this passage, it says it's for teaching. It's for teaching. In other words, the Bible, the Scripture, teaches us truth. And the truth that we learn from Scripture is that the one who is following the Lord is not, cannot, should not, is, is constrained to not follow other gods. He alone is our only true God. He alone is the only one that we follow. And so when it says that it's for teaching, what the Scripture teaches us is this is right. We know what's right from Scripture. The second thing, though, that it says here, if you look at verse 16 again, is not only is it for teaching, it's for Reproof. In other words, when we're not putting God first, when we're, we're, when we're putting other things first, when we're putting ourselves first, when we're not giving God His due worship first, the Scriptures rebuke us by saying, this is wrong. So the teaching says this is right, but the reproving and the rebuking says this is wrong. You see, there's a balance there. It brings us into line with what God wants us to know. But then notice the fourth thing here in verse 16. It's not only profitable for teaching and reproof, but for correction. For correction. In other words, it points us back to what is right. Because we've been reproved by the Word of God and because we've been taught by the Word of God, it corrects us by saying, repent and serve the one true God. Repent and serve the one true God. And then fourthly, notice the word training in verse 16. For training 
in righteousness. The scripture tells us both what is wrong and how to do what is right. It's the moral law that is revealed to us through scripture. Matter of fact, if you if you were in Paul Keener's class this morning, he pointed us to the Ten Commandments, and you'll remember that the very first commandment is that we're to worship the Lord. All the other nine that follow that are showing us how we are to live. How to relate to God, how to properly worship Him, how to honor Him. But the rest teach us how to live. It trains us. The the Ten Commandments train us. And the truth of the matter is that all of Scripture trains us. So there's four things. When you ask the question, why should we take the Bible in regularly? There are four answers found right in this verse, in this passage. And that is because it teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, and it trains us. And all four of those things work together to bring us in line so that we can exercise ourselves to godliness. So that brings us to another question. If all of that is true, and all of that's profitable for us, why do we struggle with taking the Bible in regularly? I am convinced, as hard as the struggle is for us to eat properly and exercise properly physically, it is just as hard and difficult for us to train ourselves and take in the proper nutrition and exercise correctly in our spirits. So why do we struggle? Let me suggest a few things to you. And this first one comes straight from this passage that we just read, and that is it makes us uncomfortable. Because when you're confronted with the truth, and when you're corrected by the truth, And when you're called to repentance by the truth, it makes us uncomfortable. And what is our natural state to slip into when we're uncomfortable? Comfort. I'm going to stay where it's comfortable. We don't like to be confronted by the truth anymore. Can I remind you that in the context of what Paul is saying to Timothy here, if it is true that godlessness is going to increase in the latter days and in the last days, then we better get uncomfortable with the Word of God because it's only the Word of God that will train us and bring us to godliness for those last days. So how, why do we struggle? Well, number one, it's, it's uncomfortable because of the very things that Paul teaches us here. With Timothy, we don't like to be confronted by the truth. Secondly, I would suggest to you that it's just hard. It's hard. Now, if you know anything about physical exercise, and this is true in every realm of life, actually, but it's true especially with, with health, Those who are the most successful 
are those who track everything they eat and track every step they take and every exercise they do. Because there's something powerful about putting it down on paper and seeing it with your own eyes and seeing how that you are either staying on track or not staying on track. And when you start logging everything physically, from your nutrition to your exercise, it is difficult. And just as difficult as it is physically, it is that much more difficult spiritually. And I am convinced now, I know not everyone's this way, but for me, for me, I am convinced that if I'm going to stay on track spiritually, the best way I'm going to stay on track is to write everything down that I'm doing. And so I, even though I do it inconsistently and I'm not the perfect person at it, I journal on a regular basis because when I journal, I can see what God is teaching me and see what God is doing in my life at any given moment. I write it down. Sometimes I write down my prayers. Sometimes I just write down my thoughts about what I see in the passage as I'm reading it. Sometimes I write down just things that are on my heart and things I'm struggling with that I haven't even found an answer yet for in the Scripture. But I write it down because I want to remind myself this is what I'm struggling with. I even write down things that I can celebrate. Because I want to remember also what God has done for us. And when you start doing that, it gets hard. And it's not only hard because of, of for me, for journaling, but it's, it's also hard just because we have a tendency to let our calendars control us rather than us control our calendars. I am convinced that all of us sitting in this room, well, most of us, I shouldn't say all, most of us sitting in this room today have way too many appointments and way too many trips running our kids here and there scheduled on our calendar, and there's not enough white space. It's hard to do what's right. It's hard to exercise the, the spiritual discipline of biblical intake, Bible intake. We live in a day where it's easier to get on Google and Google the answer and find it than it is to look up at, in the Scripture. God help us when we get to Google more than we get to the Bible. It's easier in this day and age in which we live to find that preacher on the radio or on a podcast whose style we like and we listen to him more than we actually get into the Scripture for ourselves. Now, I'll speak about that in a moment. I don't think there's anything wrong with surrounding yourself with good teachers and preachers. You need to do that, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But if that's all we're doing, and we're never taking time to take the Bible in for ourselves and to, and to meditate upon it and, and go through it for ourselves, we're going to be severely anemic. Thirdly, Maybe we struggle because it's a fact that we might be undisciplined. There's a reason we call these the spiritual disciplines. 
Because it is a discipline. It is something that you have to train yourself to do on a regular basis. You know, used to, you don't hear this much anymore, I don't think, but since I'm kind of outside of the educational world and the art world nowadays, maybe they still say this and and I'm just not aware of it, but when I was involved in the educational world and, and the art world, used to, things like learning to play an instrument was called a discipline. Used to in college, when you would select a certain area of study, it would be your area of discipline. Why? Because you had to train yourself. You had to put some time and energy and effort into it to train yourself. And so maybe we struggle because we're undisciplined. Matter of fact, I think maybe we live in a day where the Bible has just kind of become optional. In our, in our being undisciplined, the, the Bible is just a, another book that's just become optional. And someday if I get to it, I'll read it just like the other 300 books on my shelf. Number four, why do we struggle? Maybe it's because we have come to a position of thinking that the Bible is stale and lifeless. I hope that's not true for us, but it could be. We live in such an academic-minded society that maybe we just view it as another academic exercise and it just becomes stale and lifeless to us. But can I remind you this morning that this is the Word of the living God and it proclaims for itself that it is a living Word. That is why every time you read it, you can read the same passage over and over again, and every time you read it, you see something different and you learn something new in it. Why? Because it's a living Word. And every time we come to it with open, honest hearts, it will speak to us if we will allow it to. It's not still. It's not lifeless. And then fifthly, and then we'll move on. There's a whole list I could give you, but I'll give you this one. The reason we struggle with taking the Bible in regularly is simply because we have a dysfunctional relationship with the Lord. That dysfunctional relationship began in Genesis chapter 3. And it has been passed on to every person of the human race. And we're born into a state of dysfunction. And sometimes even after coming to Christ and even after being converted by the Gospel and and the Holy Spirit taking up residence and giving us that born-again experience, sometimes we still remain dysfunctional. And I won't go into all the reasons for that, but I'm just simply saying to you that might be a reason why we struggle. If we do struggle. If you don't struggle, thank God for that. But in 26 years of preaching, I can tell you the majority of people I have dealt with struggle in this very area. So that brings us then to a question. 
And I'll quickly go through this and we'll be done. Because I know that I'm the only thing standing between you and lunch. If the Bible's that important, and realizing that we do struggle, what do we need to do? How, how do we take the Bible in regularly? How, how do we overcome this? Let me start with our motives. Let me start with our motives. Maybe we need to get back to the point of realizing that it is God's grace that He even gave us His Word. He didn't have to give it to us. As I said earlier, He could have in the garden condemned us to eternal hell and never thought a second thought about it because that would have been the right thing to do. It would have been a just thing to do because we've sinned against Him. But in His grace, what did He do with Adam and Eve? He comes calling for them. He holds them accountable. And He speaks with them. When He had every right to not speak to them, He spoke to them. Now they still suffer consequences and we still suffer those consequences today because that's what sin does. It brings consequences. But God in His grace came to them and spoke to them. And all throughout history has continued to speak to the human race through the holy men of God, through the prophets. It's God's grace that has given us His Word. And why would we want to reject? Why would we want to ignore? Why would we want to take a careless, apathetic stance towards something that is so precious and gracious toward us? Maybe our second motive is not only to get back to understanding this is God's grace, but maybe... We need to change our view of God. If you listen to the world enough, and I'm afraid that maybe this has crept into the church, if you listen to the world enough, what you'll find is they may acknowledge there's a God, but they will also say, but He's inactive. He doesn't care. He's not involved. And friend, there is nothing further from the truth. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who did not just sit things in order and send the world spinning and then leave us alone. We have a God who is actively involved and the number one proof of that is the fact that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. The second proof is the fact that He gave us His Word to reveal Himself to us. Maybe we need to quit approaching God as the man upstairs who we're just paying our duty to and we're just going through the routine just to get it done. Maybe we need to change our view of God as one who is truly loving and gracious and merciful and yet righteous and just and most importantly, holy. Maybe the third motive we need to have and I know this is going to sound funny, maybe. And it's definitely going to sound selfish, but I think we need to remember that we are part of the story. Now, 
Now, you may think that sounds funny, but listen to me. You post something on Facebook and see how many times you check Facebook to see how many likes you got and how many people like what you wrote and how many comments they make to it. We're all the time checking what we've put out in the public's eye to see how people are reacting to it. We like to know where we stand. If you've ever had the the honor of publishing an article in a magazine or in a on a blog post, you you will check to see how much circulation of that magazine there is. You will check to see how many likes and comments there are on that blog blog post. Why? Because that's who we are. We we like to know what people are thinking in terms of what we've done. But yet here is God who has written the greatest love story ever. And He's put us in it. We are in the Scriptures. And why would we not want to remember that in being a part of the story means that God revealed Himself to us, drew us to Himself. And one day, we will get to experience the culmination of the story. And I don't know about you, but if Paul is warning Timothy that in those last days godlessness would come, and if I'm part of this story, I want to know what to expect. I want to know how to be prepared. I want to know how to look forward in hope to that day when Christ will come. And we'll be in His presence for all of eternity. Those are our motives. You say, well, pastor, why do you start there? Well, until you find your why, you'll never do it. Until you find your motivation, you'll never do it. So how do we do this? Let me just give you, I'm just going to click these off real quick. These are nothing new to us. I've got four minutes and I'll be done in three, I promise. Number one, Bible reading. Bible reading. Find yourself a plan that works for you and read. You've heard me say this before. I am not through the Bible in a year type of guy. Because not only do we need quantity, but we also need quality. And I would much rather you take the Gospel of John and read through it repetitively repetitively for a whole year and learn something about the gospel of Jesus Christ from the gospel of John than to be able to brag that you went through the Bible three times this year. Quantity is important, but so is quality. And if the quantity is getting in your way, then focus on the quality. But I will say this, the reason we need to read the Bible is because we need to understand the context. So even if you're in the Gospel of John, read the whole Gospel on a regular basis. Read it so that you can get that context. Number two, Bible study. And here's where we fall short. We might be good at reading, but we never dig in and study. We let the pastors do that. We let the teachers do that. And then we think that we should be satisfied with that. Listen, if the Word of God is for the equipping of the godly man for every good work, then there is a need for us to not just read to get the context, but to dig in and to study the Word of God. 
If you don't know how to do that, come see me. There's a little booklet out on the table in the foyer. It's called How to Study Your Bible. It will give you some great practical tips on how to study your Bible. Number three, Bible meditation. Don't just read it to get the context. Don't just study it to learn something deeper about it and to, and to learn a more, have a more full knowledge of it. But you need to meditate upon that. When you come across the truth that in the beginning was God, stop there and meditate upon that. What does that mean? How does that apply to us? How does that change my life? Meditate. Of course, the word meditation is a picture of a cow chewing his tug, his his uh, cud over and over again, getting every bit of nutrient out of it he can. One of the greatest exercises I ever went through in college was when I went into a Bible study class and the professor said, I want you to take John 3.16 and when you come back to class at the end of the week, I want you to have 50 observations about John 3.16. Try that sometime. 50 observations about John 3.16. It'll change your world. Number four, Memorization. Bible memorization. Why? Because when you get it in your head and you commit it to your head, you have an easier time of getting it to your heart. When you can more easily recall it in memory, you can get it to your heart. One of the greatest blessings that you will ever have, or that I have as a pastor, maybe you've experienced it too, one of the greatest blessings you'll ever have is when you go to the bedside of a dying loved one and all they're doing is quoting Scripture. Because they've let Scripture become a part of them. God help us. Number five. Listen to the Bible being read. Now I don't know if you've noticed. But I try very hard. And today we didn't have quite as much as we have had in the past few weeks. But I try very hard to put as much Scripture into our worship services as we can. To read it. To let you hear it. Because there's something powerful about just hearing it with your ears and not just seeing it on a page. And can I remind you that in Bible times, they didn't have the printing press. That's a modern invention. So oftentimes, that's why they would spend three and four hours at the temple because the priest would be there and he would just read for them and explain it for them. They were a very audible society. And I think we've gotten away from that and we need to listen to the Bible being read. And by the way, that's not a passive listening either. It's actively participating. Number six, and I'm done. We need to actively listen to solid teaching and preaching. The Bible is very clear in the book of Ephesians that God has given pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. 
And as we were reminded this morning in our Sunday school class, don't trust everyone you see on the TV or hear on the radio. Matter of fact, I would say to you, less is better. I have about four or five Bible teachers that I listen to on a regular basis, and here's my criteria. Number one, do they start in the text, do they stay in the text, and do they finish in the text? If you use that criteria to judge a man's preaching, you will find out whether or not he believes that the Word of God is really the Word of God. He won't take it out of context. He'll use it properly. And so we must be actively listening and participating. And I would say to you that when you come here and you sit in Sunday school class or on Wednesday nights in teaching class or here during our worship times, you should be actively listening and participating. It's not just a passive event. I have found out that the reason most people say they didn't get anything out of the sermon is because they weren't really paying attention. They were just passively listening. If this is the Word of God, and if I'm doing my job correctly, I think there's something for all of us to take out of here in some form or fashion. Even if it's something as simple as to simply say, thank you, God, for being gracious enough to give us your Word. There is something for us in this living and active Word of God. How are you doing? Are you struggling? Welcome to the club. Let's struggle together, but let's not be content with where we are. And let's move forward for the holiness and godliness and glory of God in how we take in the Scripture on a regular basis. Would you bow with me, please? I don't know what your moment of response is or what it is you need to do. But I will tell you this, you must respond. And it's not necessarily to say, I'm going to get into God's Word more. Maybe you need to do that. It might be you need to say, I need to slow down a little bit in God's Word. I need to let it really speak to me. Whatever your response is right now, make that response. Confess that to the Lord. Ask Him for His grace and mercy to help you to regularly take in the Scripture in an active, participating way for His glory to transform you into godliness. Thank you once again for downloading this edition of the podcast. If you would be so kind to take a moment to like, share, rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. This will help us become more discoverable in the podcast universe. Until next week, have a great week.